gentlemen, and variations thereupon. Paul to open. Yes, and what do you do? Taking a big space trip with a bunch of strangers across a diamond planet called Midnight. I shudder to think what might happen. But you say that to all the girls. If you would fasten your seatbelts, we'll be leaving any moment. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and a happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Hey, that's right. It's Christmas Day when we're uploading this. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pretending it's Christmas Day. This is sort of like when, when they shoot a Doctor Who special in the middle of July. Right. And it's a Christmassy one. And we, we just have to pretend to be Christmassy in advance. Luckily, we're, we're only a week out here, so yeah, we, yeah, could, not... we could fake it pretty well. <laughs> we're, we're kind of method acting here. We're kind of, we're kind of living it. Yeah. Let's imagine me carving into some beef wellington right now. You know, <laughs> mm, Andy Kane's good. all around my head. For those of you not watching on YouTube right now, <laughs> see that that's not the case. And I've actually had darts of decorations in this room. I mean, um, we do know from uh, the time of the doctor that the TARDIS cooks a good turkey. Oh, so that's true. That, that's, you know, that's what I'm imagining that we're on the deck of the TARDIS. We've got the tur- turkey cooking in the uh, Eye of Orion or whatever the heck it is that's powering that thing. And uh, yeah, and we're here to talk about our latest random episode which is somewhat holiday themed right uh which is called midnight right we did not as you might expect decide to do one of the many doctor who holiday specials actually we have done that but not Mm. in a comprehensive way so well it wasn't a comprehensive way and that we haven't officially done the holiday episodes but we've our very first pull to open ever was rapid fire reviewing every single christmas episode so you can go back and go back to the first episode uh, of Pull to Open and get our very, very short crib note, crib notes on every holiday episode. Well, we still haven't decided. We, we've decided that didn't count as like doing them in the yeah. codex. So they're, they're in the codex that we haven't done them. It's a nice extra. And yeah. uh, maybe we can link to it directly in the show notes. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we go through them all. So if you're feeling the lack of Doctor Who on Christmas Day, uh, as mm-hmm. many of us do, because it's now apparently a New Year's show. We have a New Year's special coming up. It's on Sundays and their New Year's specials. Something but for, for some people, Doctor Who is all about Christmas. So go listen to that episode. We'll, we'll, we'll talk you through all the Christmas uh, mm. that you can handle. Uh, but in the meantime, let's, let's talk about last week or last time on Pull to Open. We went to the Green Death Mm-hmm. And uh, Pete, apparently uh, maggots are not popular on social media. <laughs> As it turns out, what a shock. Yeah. Uh, so not our most uh, viewed video ever was the one about <laughs> the maggots, shockingly. <laughs> Although people did love the um, the plot summary. But once we threw in some Pertwee disguises, mm. we got some response. So everybody loves seeing John Pertwee ham it up with a false mustache and a terrible Welsh accent. <laughs> Really, I think what this is telling us is that uh, before Jodie leaves, uh, she she too has to do some cross-dressing, as Pertwee does in The Green Death. Uh, where I suddenly, suddenly picturing Jodie Whittaker with Groucho glasses for some reason. I'm, I'm thinking a mustache. I think it has to be a, you know. And then that, that seems, this is why we should do Christmas episodes, because it would not seem out of character to do something jovial and Christmas like that, like putting on a fake mustache. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. I think yeah, so. Stephen Moffat once said he he deliberately goes way over the top in all of his Christmas episodes <laughs> simply because he thinks he's competing with Christmas Day. He's literally competing yes. with like the festivities. So it's just he has to make it amp up the craziness. Yeah, your and, competition is literally the, the drunken haze that everyone in the <laughs> living room is in and everyone talking at once. It's yeah, that's a lot to shout over. But Doctor Who does it very effectively. Um Anyway, yeah, so The Green Death wasn't popular, but here we are at midnight, and we both have theories about why the randomizer might have taken us here. Yes. Um, uh, Mine's pretty straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get to that, but first it's the part of the show that I'm dreading. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought it up then. 
so I don't have, doesn't have to look like I'm sticking something in you and twisting the knife. Uh, it is now time. Uh, we've gotten to it in record time, I think, for TLDW, which is too long Doctor Who. Too long didn't watch, whatever you think it means, but it is the time when we summarize the plot of the episode in what I think is record time. Yeah. Um, so how we do these is that for every roughly 25 minutes, which is a, a old episode of, uh, oh, sorry, an episode of old classic Doctor Who, Mm-hmm. We give 30 seconds. So for most New Who episodes, we're giving a full minute. Okay. And so this is New Who. This is a David Tennant episode. It is yep. midnight. Did we say that? Did we already say that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we said that it was a Tennant episode. It's also, I should I should mention, just to stall for time, uh, the fact that I, I, Mia Culpa, I said last time that it was a Moffat episode. It is not. It is Paul to Open's first ever episode by a writer called russell the davies i think is, <laughs> is the name and uh yeah so it's the randomizer's first taste of rtd yeah it was fun writing the show notes for this one and right where writer and showrunner were the same person Indeed. Um, so yes it's an rtd uh it's an rtd episode he apparently wrote in a weekend <laughs> he did um, I've, I've got all the details on the writing of it um but yeah, yeah. Let, let's get this let's get this painful thing over with. Let's... All right. Yes, there's lots to go <sighs> over in this one, uh, as right. straightforward I'm as ready. it is. But <clears throat> let's first talk about what the heck happened here. Are you ready, Chris? Right. I am ready. All right, Can't be down. Hidden. Three, two, one, and go, sir. Okay, so the doctor's on vacation on this planet made of diamonds, and Donna wants to stay in and sunbathe. And the doctor goes in a space bus, the Crusader 50, in which uh, uh, there's a bunch of people there, and they're, they're going out to look at diamond caverns. But Shields have to be down in, in the meantime. Uh, and he meets a lot of people, including a woman named Sky Silvestri, who, when the uh, bus stops and gets attacked by a mysterious creature that we never see, uh, Sky Silvestri has taken over by this creature and it starts to do this really annoying thing of talking at the same time as everyone for while repeating everyone first, then talking at the same time as everyone and then sort of latching onto the doctor and and repeating everything he says only um, and then saying stuff ahead of him and the passengers get super paranoid. They're about to throw the doctor out, but the flight stewardess recognizes certain things that the doctor has said in French and Italian. Uh, So she grabs Sky Silvestri and throws her out into the irradiated nightmare outside the and uh, ship time. and that's it <laughs> i mean that's pretty, pretty much it it goes back Ooh. to donna i mean you know that's, yeah, that's a hug <laughs> there's okay, a right? hug that's with donna donna doesn't get to say molto bene that's it that's right she's, <laughs> she's not allowed to repeat it anyway yeah <laughs> molto bene um good stuff yeah thank you Oof. way to go this is, is, we're getting on, we're getting we're almost on a streak here of yeah. successful pldws I know, not not to amp up the pressure for next time. But... Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to continue the streak, Pete. It's, I do. It's not to me, but um, but yeah. So so this was a 2008 episode. It's kind of, um, well, I'll, I'll just say what RTD says about it in the the updated edition of, or well, I guess also the original edition of the writer's tale. Okay. He says he's worried that it's a thin conceit. So did you feel it was a thin conceit, Pete? Hmm. Hmm. Hey, no, no. I thought this one this one was great, uh, honestly. Like, uh, not to reveal my final judgment of the episode, but uh, <laughs> I thought it was super compelling. I think it holds up really, really well. Um, mm. And I think it's mostly because it's um, counter, it sort of unfolds in an almost opposite way than most Doctor Who episodes mm. uh, in that, Usually the doctor comes in slowly, but surely wins over the humans or people he's there to sort of save. And even though they're sort of killed off one by one, often that, you know, there's, there's usually this escalating, um, you know, like force of good around the doctor and, you know, that he's, he's going to save everybody, even if they're all dying around him. Whereas this time it, it more and more falls apart. Like, and yeah. it just, com- he, he keeps trying and trying to get everyone together to face this. And it just doesn't work. Nothing works. And until uh, there's the final climax um, and you just kind of like, it feels a weird taste in your mouth, but it, 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 mm. because 
it the cast really sells it. Like I think there was never oh, quite a point that came close a couple times, but never quite a point where I was taken out of the show by like that. No one would ever say that. You know what I mean? Which often happens in things like this. Certainly in horror movies, that happens a lot. That didn't happen, and I thought, you know, this. Did, I remember this one liking this one when it came out, and I liked it just as much, if not more, this time. It's it's very much of its era. I think. Did you, did you find that that the, the sense of paranoia felt very nine eleven to me and hmm. post nine eleven? Yeah, but, that's fair. And if you kind of think about what was on contemporary sort of genre television at the time, this was right mm-hmm. around when Battlestar Galactica was in probably toward getting towards the end of its run and mm-hmm. it was getting a lot of sort of kudos and awards. And so there was, you know, exploring darker sides of human behavior and interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Battlestar Galactica, very claustrophobic show throughout. And this is, the, I mean, if there's one adjective for midnight, it's claustrophobic. Yeah. And that's, uh, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And that sort of gets at something that I had a little bit of a problem with this time around, which is that they are very ready to throw people out of airlocks. My goodness. Right. I mean, it does. I, I know that it sort of amps up the tension and you sort of get to believing by the 30 minute mark that they will actually throw the doctor out. But it, it gets that pretty damn quickly. They just get super scared and their paranoia enhances everyone else's paranoia. And it's kind of this feedback loop going on, um, which feels like feels a little bit like a bygone era. I don't, I don't know if we're beyond that. If we're kind of just over that these days. But yeah, that was that was super post 9 for me. Yeah, it probably uh, would have fit a little bit post 9-11, probably would have fit better almost in a, in a classic uh, ser- series episode mm. too, where people are a little more, I don't know, there, there was more simplistic attitudes, I guess, towards danger um, in a lot of those classic series episodes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think this might have been a little better served uh, I, I don't want to say gore, but I would say like the, the threat is made clear by the loss of the people in the cabin or the, the, hmm. the pilots. Right. Yes. And you also, there, there's one other thing that does happen, which is to say like physically, which is to say that the door gets bent. So like yeah. you kind of like, this is why I think it's so compelling. You're kind of wondering, well, what's the nature of this creature? Like it seems both physical and sort of mental or ethereal, and you never, you never get the answer, which I think is actually pretty, in this case, kind of bold. Um, mm. But once those two things happen, you're you're still a little bit like, what's the threat exactly? Like you kind of <laughs> almost want to see something more physical happen to the people there in yeah. the cabin to to hit home to justify essentially their paranoia. Um, that's probably one missing thing, but there's no way to really do that without sort of ruining the guessing game you're playing with the creature. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So this, this was deliberately a, a low budget episode or an attempt at a low budget episode. I don't think it actually worked out because they had to build a complex set for the, right. uh, for the, for the main cabin. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I did not mention in my summary that the pilots had died, um, which adds a little sort of extra menace to it, but also, uh, they die of extonic radiation, which is the threat. Only right. ever time we've heard about it in Doctor Who is on this one planet, extonic radiation. Um, Artron energy, I'm sure. Indeed. But they also have that moment where the pilot sees something that we never see, yeah. which is very... And I rewound. Yeah. <laughs> I looked. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have any of that. I wish they'd had just a hint of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the kind of thing you would have to rewind to see. And arguably, like everything's twinkling, right? Maybe it was one of those things. But um, maybe the fact that you the rewound, dialogue. the fact that you rewound meant that that sort of that dialogue did its job to make yeah. you unsure of yourself. Did I see anything? Um, totally. I kind of like that. So we, should, we shouldn't go much further without giving major props to Leslie Sharp. Mm. who is the actress who plays Sky Silvestri, who is the character that's taken over by this creature, because it's all about her. I mean, if she had not done her job well, this entire episode would have collapsed. Yeah. Because you have to believe the yeah. menace. Yeah. And really, really have... well cast. I mean, just her look, honestly, like her eyes. 
Mm. Like it's so much. She has to say so much with her eyes in so many scenes. Um, she's really good at that. Well, she's got great eyes. Yeah, like, she's got one. great eyes. <laughs> like she, she says they're they're big, uh, but she's clearly knows how to be so expressive. Um, she she's very like she makes so many good choices about her before she's taken over and after. Um, there's there's this interesting dialogue that. I honestly didn't. I, I'll confess, I didn't pick up on in an explicit way. I had. I actually watched the DVD commentary, and mm-hmm. she she's a little weird and she's a little off, and she's clearly the most vulnerable from a emotional perspective. Um, and in the commentary, um, Davies explains, or in the way he explains things, which is to say, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. this is the thing. It's not mm-hmm. in the story, but maybe she's suicidal. Which right. is to say, she mentions at one point before she's taken over, I'm on a I'm on a schedule. And why you know, why would you be on a schedule? You're on vacation and this is a thing that goes this is a craft that goes out in the some valley somewhere and you don't really know Yeah. Well you might know when you're coming back, but it's like I, I don't know why you'd be on a schedule here. So yeah, maybe she was planning to kill herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the the, the uh, what was it called? The Waterfall of Sapphires. I mean, not a bad place, I guess, if you're going to do it. But hmm. yeah, it is interesting. She uh, should be going back to the Pleasure Palace, but she's had this breakup right. um, where her girlfriend slash partner has moved to another galaxy. So she's right. definitely <laughs> fragile. So she has to play fragile, but then she has to do this extraordinary thing after repeating everything everyone's saying, which is super freaking annoying and definitely makes you feel like there are kids in the room and you're kind of worried at that point that kids are going to watch this and then just be insufferable right for the next hour they're going to repeat everything (laughs) but then there's the extra twist of she starts saying stuff at the same time as everyone and this just from a technical standpoint required uh, i believe there were multiple uh you know uh teleprompters set up in front of her so that she could read everyone's dialogue at once when they were all talking at once. Yeah. And then something like that. Yeah. But it's mostly her and David Tennant having to say stuff at the same time. So they had to practice like crazy. Like that was the most effort in this episode. And, Mm. and Tennant has said that the absolute worst part of that, the, the part that they just, you know, spent days getting right was saying the square root of pi. Right. To 30 digits. Something like, have like to 20 say or 30 digits. It, they have to say it at exactly the same time. So they have to be looking at each other's faces. They have to be following uh, when they're breathing. Like, you know, you have to watch the mouths. I mean, it's super complicated acting, and she makes it look easy. Right. And I think um, Tennant even says in the commentary that he, he did the memorization over um, breakfast one time, and <laughs> he thought, okay, I've got this. But then he realizes that it not only does he have to say it, he has to say it the exact same timing with the exact same tone and the exact same intonation. Mm. Um, and they, they do things to cheat some of that. Like certainly in the sort of shot reverse shot scenes, like the person who's in the foreground is, is not doing it like they're miming and they're looping it in later. And then there's a lot, of, there was a lot of sound editing in post. Yeah. And as you could tell like of, of making that work. And, um, but it's like as, as sort of a technical, uh, stroke of genius that they pulled off here again. Like I, the hats off to it, and mm. it's it's again one of those things you rewind for because there's the bit where she switches from being slightly behind them to being like at the exact same time, mm-hmm. and it sounds like for because you, you're not you're kind of listening for it, but then you're like, oh, she's not saying anything, and then you're like, wait a minute, she was yeah. saying it, and you rewind. Well, maybe she wasn't. Did they miss it? Nope. It's all it in does. There. It sounds like a Doctor Who audio effect because we're so used to monsters in Doctor Who that sound like they're kind of double tracked, right? Right, exactly. So you think it's that at first because your brain, your Doctor Who brain, is attuned to that kind of noise. Yeah. Um, but before we leave, simple, it's a, such a simple idea. Honestly, it, like this yes. is what really it works so well. Like, I mean, it's obviously was much more complex to execute than I think mm. probably Davies thought, but they <laughs> did, pulled it off. But the whole idea of like it's it's terrible it's terrifying in this instance. But like, why does it affect us at all? And I sort of started thinking about this, and aided a little bit by the commentary, which is that you, if you 
repeat something like why is it annoying in the first place and why why does it bother us so much is it it, it, it it's kind of taking the power away from your words because there's something yeah. inherently mocking about just repeating what someone just said there's something and, inherently mocking about repeating what someone's just said <laughs> sorry now uh, <laughs> now at the same time no um i just want to say something before we leave leslie sharp uh i think Leslie Sharp is one of the reasons why it's super creepy that the randomizer brought us here because, mm. and uh, it's, it, this is going to be a story about my first point of contact with RTD, but it's so not name dropping because he is talking to literally everyone on Instagram right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Leslie Sharp was Rose, the first Rose. Oh. Did we know there was a first Rose? There was a show that Russell T Davies did called Bob and Rose. In 2001, interestingly enough, it sort of got, it didn't get a lot of uh, attention because it was, um, it basically <laughs> was on against 9 11. Um, oh, well, in, there you in go. the schedules. I was going to play Bob. No, so it didn't get all the attention that it should have done, but it did win lots of awards. It was a lovely romantic comedy, and Leslie Sharp played Rose in that. Um, by the way, again, we didn't yet mention that Billy Piper's scene on, on mm. the screen. Uh, mouthing doctor, but uh, should have so put there that were, in the there were a pair of roses in this episode. There were a pair of roses in this episode, it's fantastic. And <laughs> Russell T. Davis, again, bro, <laughs> <laughs> that was almost at the same time and, and entirely accidental, which is spooky. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so he, RTD is doing this thing on Instagram, where he's going through all of the shows that he's participated in, right? Uh, so I think it's just. 30th anniversary of, of, of writing for TV. So he's, he's doing 30 shows that, that he's been part of. And one of them was Bob and Rose. And, and that one I commented because he said that it was now on BritBox and it's hmm. not on, I, I couldn't find it on BritBox. So I commented. Not an American BritBox. Yeah. Turns out there is a difference, which yeah. now I know is this is only a recent thing that BritBox has launched in the UK as well. So uh, so he responded uh, to me almost instantly with like the original comment and then with the, the next comment. So saying, ah, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let me make some calls, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if you can watch Bob and Rose on BritBox and you're, you're in the US, you are welcome. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I've been longing to see that. But the fact that, that the randomizer would then in our next episode take us to the only Doctor Who story with Leslie Sharp in it, with the pair wow. of roses, for its first RTD story, kind of feels a little, little spooky, right? A little weird. Yeah, that's wow. That's a very compelling and elaborate theory as to why the <laughs> randomizer brought us here, and yeah. totally blows mine out of the water because I was just <laughs> like, well, we were in a the Green Death, where one of the key plot elements is a sapphire crystal, and this one is about a I guess a mountainside that has a diamond mountainside that has sapphire crystals coming down a waterfall. I'm like hmm, sapphires, yeah, that's what yeah. it is. I just like Both. jewelry. I no, I like yeah. that. When 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 I saw you you say that in our notes before the show, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's actually a great connection with the Green Death. This is like Metabolis three, but cheaper. <laughs> you don't. We don't have to pay for any sapphires, even Indeed. even fake ones. You know, the cheapness of this episode cannot be underrated. And I want to talk briefly about one of Donna's two appearances in this episode, which is right at the beginning. You see her holding a purple handset, which is supposed to be a phone. But no one had even told her that it was supposed to be held the other way around. Because you can (laughs) see at the bottom of it, it's clearly got a little... Whatever they those pre Ethernet jack things were, yeah, phone jack. I think they're just called a phone jack. Yeah, yeah it's I'm just, just really it's, you know, and you can see it quite clearly. And she's only in this for like two freaking scenes, maybe. <laughs> maybe by this fault, point, though. they had they had an actress a phone. She's just going to hold it how it's like supposed to be yeah. held. Like she's not, not gonna her fault. Not no. her fault. Catherine Tate. I would not blame you for anything, especially as she was filming Turn Left at the same right. time which is the true glory. And of course, Midnight is kind of forgotten these days, but Turn Left is adored. Um, well, it's and- kind of weird because like the handset, I mean, I guess they must have painted it because I don't think there's that many purple handsets. <laughs> so like, I kind of uh, like, why would you even do that? Like, it feels so much like an afterthought. Like, 
it if does you're look, gonna do a it future, looks very British, I gotta yeah, say. If you're gonna do do a future like honestly, that's the moment that probably takes you out of the episode the most because yes. it's clearly like a handset. And yeah. You, you couldn't just go to the prop the vault mm. and just grab the nearest thing from the last sci-fi thing. Like, I, 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 it just stuns me that they, no one thought like we should we should make this look a little more futury. Yeah, it's very weird. Or just stick like a freaking bindi on the side of her head and have her press it. Like you know, make it <laughs> like some sort of future phone thing that they've all been issued with in this in this spa. But yeah, that's that's not aged well. Definitely takes you out the episode. Yeah. Um, um, but what are you going to do? But I, I yeah. did like the the hotel stuff. I mean, in other words, like I like kind of the idea that there's like a pleasure palace mm. in a like super inhospitable place. Like it just sounds really a little bit like aristocratic and like this is what rich people in the future do. I'm a little almost a little surprised the doctor and Donna kind of wanted to come because it seems like this kind of thing that is such a vanity project. Let's just I put something of- here. I kind of like that it kind of seems like a like just a, t- a crap tourist location, right? Uh, which is sort of <laughs> the origins of it. Like RTD wanted a space bus, like not a space train. Like we don't get the glitz and glamour of you know, uh, Mummy on the Orient yeah, Express. I was just thinking, yeah, right, or or the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. That, that, he actually it's even says in the bus. commentary, this is kind of a reaction to Voyage of the Damned. Which yeah. which was that super ritzy that that was the metaphor right? It's all Titanic's always a metaphor, but it's like um, the the metaphor for the 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 class uh, system of being like oh mm. this is like a, a a vanity project for some space billionaire. Um, but this is I guess kind of the opposite. Even though you would think it's like super exp- <laughs> like a very hard thing to do and putting a, a a hotel here in this very inhospitable planet. I, I kind of like it because it's the kind of thing where you imagine that the the marketing would just sell it, but then you get there and it's just not as great as you think it's going to be, and the hmm. just sort of these crappy bus tours, and you'd you'd rather just do what Donna does and just do some sunbathing under this vast glass dome, which is a little yeah. sad. Come to think of it, um, but yeah, the doctor's like, oh yeah, cool, brilliant, yes, I'll go on this crappy bus tour. Um, but you can imagine the brochure, can't you? That it's like, you know, take take her to a planet of diamonds. You know, don't just <laughs> this holiday season, don't just give her a diamond. Take her to an entire planet of diamonds. And then you get there, it's like yeah. crappy space bus. We have to put the blast shields down because extonic radiation. We're not even going to show you anything for four hours. And you're going to watch this terrible in-flight entertainment. By the way, that, that was another point that took me out of the episode is where the hostess puts on all the entertainment at once yeah, and then just sort of leaves it. And I know that's a commentary on how crap the entertainment is on, you know, planes or whatever in a modern transit world or right. the, mo- the modern transit world of the before times. I don't know if you remember planes, Pete, but yeah, they, <laughs> they have crappy in-flight movies and this, and the Crusader 50 has super crappy in-flight stuff. Cause it has like, I think it's Eurovision. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that was. Um, it takes you out of the episode, yeah, because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like you know, the, you would never do that in any flight anywhere. Just mm. have a thing on and have the audio on, right? Like mm. you might have something on at the. You, you would need to give people the option to just kind of be in their own bubble. They uh, just passed out headphones as well, yeah. so I don't get it. Yeah, uh, but it's obviously a way for the doctor to shut it down so that everyone get talking, which is. Yeah kind of you have to get there i understand it was a script that was written in a great hurry by the way pete i don't know if you've you've read the writer's tale uh but i highly recommend it because the 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 insight that you get into writing episodes like this because for those who don't know the writer's tale is russell t davis uh, emails back and forth with doctor who magazine writer benjamin cook and uh it's mostly season four of the new show which is what we're in and for me, it's interesting because these were episodes that I think kind of suffered. And I don't know if it was sort of that it was RTD's last season and he was kind of running on fumes. Mm. Or the more I read The Writer's Tale, the more I suspect that some of the more dubious choices are kind of, it, it feels like he knew he was being observed the whole time in the script writing process. And that changed huh. his writing a little bit. I kind of get that sense uh, with the show. So like he had more freedom early on. With season one and two, you think? Well, Ben Cook is definitely lathering on the praise with a trowel. 
for everything that RTD writes. And I wonder if that, and RTD sort of exhibits the classic kind of, oh, really? Oh, do you think so? Kind of uh, thing that writers do because we're all super, you know, uh, mm-hmm. neurotic about our own work. Uh, so I think that maybe, yeah, it just didn't give him enough time to do redrafts or enough of an mm. impetus to redraft his own stuff. And you think that would have fixed things like the in-flight entertainment and bits yeah. that were like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It is, it's definitely a contrived thing to get the doctor to get everyone talking. Um, you could have sort of, I think with a few more drafts, figured it out so that everyone was in their own bubble and that wasn't fun either. And mm. then he could do something very similar to get them out. Um, or maybe but, you introduce the threat earlier and the, you know, that the power goes out and that takes out all the inflated entertainment. And then the do- the doctor's like, Oh, we, we <laughs> should talk. We have to talk now. That's, you know, to keep everyone's spirits up instead of having, what you end up with, which is like, they're all super chummy for the first half of the episode, right? Yeah. Um, which makes this contrast that, you know, when when things turn 180 degrees, I think you believe it a little bit less because of that chumminess. But if they were all terrified to begin with and the doctor's just trying to talk them down, maybe that would be more believable when they eventually start to throw them at the airlock? Maybe, but I, I kind of didn't have a problem with them being chummy because uh, some are more chummy than others. Obviously, Jethro yeah. is very like whatever. I'm not. I'm just going to be my emo kid self <laughs> and, and not do much. Who actually ends up being like way more interesting than a lot of the other people. Um, in that he sort of can pick up on things really, really quickly. He's like very smart about picking up on who the doctor is, or at least something's wrong with the doctor. You um, can definitely tell though, that this was a script written in a hurry just by looking at the names. Yeah, I mean Biff. Biff is the guy who takes the lead in throwing the doctor out the airlock. Really? Biff? But I, I didn't uh, mind. I thought the chumminess actually worked in that they were, they were chummy and then not in the sort of idea of like you're showing your true colors now um, mm-hmm. because now like, you know, the, the stakes are higher, lives are in danger. And the chumminess was really just more to sort of add some sort of dimension and character to everybody. So we just kind of like got to know them and, and care a little bit. That's um, true. So, and it does set you up for this thing that the doctor does seem to do throughout space and time, which is just, he makes friends everywhere he goes, Right. which is the more I think about this episode, the more chilling it gets that this doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's all uh, it ultimately ends up kind of being a mislead, right? Like that's yeah. kind of what we're getting at. Like, Oh, this is going to be a by the numbers doctor episode. And he'll figure it out at, by the end. And it, uh, again, like I said earlier, it just doesn't happen. It, the uh, complete opposite happens. It all falls apart. Everyone turns against him, uh, pretty much everyone. And then it takes the smart people. Well, actually, it takes the smarts of Jethro and Dee Dee. Yeah. And the sense of duty from the stewardess, the the hostess, mm-hmm. to... To Who doesn't even get day. a name, by the way. She yeah. doesn't get a name. Oh, that really hits you. That's what I honestly, it's just like that almost like if if i was doubting the episode that kind of put it over the top emotionally for me where i was just, what, what was her name and nobody knew yeah. it's like oh just get to yeah because we don't um but yeah it's interesting there's there's definitely something else going on there with the way that everyone gets paranoid at that point which makes you think that this this monster is manipulating uh motions in other ways because all of a sudden professor hobbs is is shouting at his assistant Dee Dee, um, Fraser Hobbs, played by David Troughton. Um, yeah. But he, he's suddenly shouting at her that, that her work is average at best. I know and everyone just turns nasty. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like he was dying to say that or something. Yeah. You know, like it's been something he's been keeping in. I like that because I think David Troughton, who by the way is is great and mm. has um, also played King Peladon back in the day. Yeah, he was in uh, War Games. Son of Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Um, although the, the director, Alice Troughton, no relation apparently. <laughs> um, there's a moment I actually thought, uh, actually wrote in my notes, I had to go back and check it. There's a moment in the commentary where Tennant seems to call David Troughton her uncle, but I think he, he's just joking, like, oh, you guys like, <laughs> that's his way of saying you guys have the same last name because she, yeah. she basically yeah. says no relation a minute later. <laughs> 
Um, but I felt like it, his mannerisms earlier, um, and again, I, I think this speaks a lot to the cast and, and the good choices they make. I mean, it, they sort of have a dark side. Like he's very paternalistic to Dee Dee. He's like, mm. don't bother the man. And um, he's a little bit dismissive of her. Uh, and you kind of chalk it up. He's just sort of an old guy or whatever. Um, but it's clearly masking some um, darker side to him that comes out uh, when, you know, everything becomes a, a crisis. And that happens with everyone. I, th- I, I believed it less with the couple, the uh, Jethro's parents. I forget their names, but Val they were. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Um, they just kind of. Uh, they're not. There's not much there when they're chatting. They're just you know fun people, just everyday tourists. It seems like, and then suddenly they're like, okay, we're <laughs> we're we're leading the charge on uh, anti doctor party here, and we're just going to be make sure he's he's thrown out. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Biff, Biff as one dimensional as he is, definitely makes me think of uh, you know in the UK we'd say a Daily Mail reader or like a guy who drives a white van in the US we might think of him as maybe a um, the kind of guy who would watch Fox News um, mm. definitely get that sense that he's like his pump is primed for paranoia and like he's very very common sense kind of dude yeah yeah be, but you know common sense in a way that would make him fall for online conspiracy theories what did you think I guess we've seen this before but did you feel that the air host or that the hostess was going to make um, such a difference at the end? I mean, she you kind of almost annoyed with her early on because she seemed yeah. so oblivious to the um, the in-flight entertainment. That's super annoying. Um, she seems a little bit like annoyed with the doctor and that, be, you know, you kind of don't like her. Because, well, we like the doctor, so maybe mm. we're not supposed to like you. Um, and then she ends up saving the day at the end. Uh yeah, she's not really developed enough, is she, for that? I mean, you know, she has to be undeveloped somewhat so that people don't actually know her name. Uh, I get the point of that line. But yeah, we, we could have had something more out of her. Like, she's obviously wrestling with her question of, of duty and safety, duty of care to her passengers. We don't we don't get much insight into that because there's not a lot of space for it, which is unfortunate. And it's interesting that I didn't remember any of the details of this episode. Like, I just knew that there was a bunch of stuff going on inside a ship. Right. And it was a little bit creepy. And I didn't remember any of the details until I watched it again. So it kind of flattens out in the memory. Um, but yeah, she, she could have been so much more. And it's kind of a shame. By the way, she does also say several times, was it ladies and gentlemen and variations thereof? Right. Which is very... Um, I wouldn't say that that's ahead of its time, right? It's it's very <laughs> 2008 that you could still sort of make a joke about that. It's not it's not like making it. It's almost saying you know and and alien versions, haha. Which, by the way, it's weird that there were no aliens, right? Isn't it? Because then they're all human and they're very much dressed in in 20, 21st century, early 21st century, late 20th century gear, which is weird. And they sort of realize that the Doctor isn't human at one point, or they, they seem they surprised. Suggest. Yeah, and, uh, there's no blue people at all in this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's honestly like uh, I I don't think it ruins the episode, but it is a bit of a nitpick if you're a, a fan. Where you're like, there's also the reference to the the galaxy, like someone went to another galaxy, mm. and this sort of, mm. to my mind, pegs it in the far future. And again, there's no date given, so probably is or it could be. But I know you know some of the. Uh, guides put this in like the 27th century mm. and that you know in Doctor Who world continuity that seems a little earlier to be galaxy hopping yeah they, um, they just happen to be going through a period of the far future where early 21st century fashions are just out of this world man and I guess you know, yeah people all, all professors yeah the professor at one point which you mentioned does a whole you know, that basically bores everyone to death with the sort of his discourse on uh, the planet of midnight and why it's so incredible um, with, with There's a slide some... projector. And he makes DD do the, the next slide, please thing. Like, you know, we don't, we haven't even advanced to the point of remote control slide projectors. <laughs> and what, what happened to Google slides? What, what, what's, what's really? going you know, to happen to all my slides in the cloud? They're all going to have to download them at some point or, 
just going to lose them all because apparently they're not accessible by um, in the 27th century. Yeah, but yeah I guess all the, the all the money that they meant to spend on these futuristic costumes just went into that amazing uh, phone prop uh, for Donna um, at the right. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, okay, so other details in this episode: the bus is called the Crusader Fifty. Yep. which is a reference to this being the 50th episode of the new series, which it is not, actually. It is, it is not. It was the 50th second. one as shot. Right. But then they moved it around with uh, Forest of the Dead. Uh, no, is it Forest of the Dead? No, Day of the Moon? Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, Silence mm-hmm. of the Library and Fall Forest of the Dead. Forest of the yeah. Dead, yeah. Uh, so they moved, but it was the 50th to be shot, and that's why it's not called the Crusader Five, uh, which was RTD's original idea. I think he was going for a Galaxy 4 kind of feel. Uh, so the oh. space bus was originally called Crusader 5. And then Ben Cook is like, wait a minute, it's the 50th. Uh, you know, you have to make it Crusader 50. And RTD's like, great, okay. Uh, which is I wonder, just... like, is that is that a job on TV shows like Doctor Who that, like, the script's done, the story's here. Now, what what are the references we can make to <laughs> something that happened in the past? Or... That should be a job. Yeah. yeah. I want Continuity job. nerd. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. Guy, Russell, uh, I guess it would be. Yeah, it is Russell again. Uh, <laughs> Russell, I am available with my uh, near encyclopedic knowledge of the show to... <laughs> Toss out things you could make reference to in scripts. Pete, just just, just, just DM him on Instagram. He's replying to everyone. Oh man, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even tried. I got to do that. Um, but that's that's an interesting little tidbit on this one. Other couple tidbits, which is very the TARDIS is never shown, which is a very yeah. rare thing. Actually, it's uh, it, apparently up until this point, it had not happened since Genesis of the Daleks, which I, makes me want to go back and <laughs> check that. I have it, uh, but. Sounds sound that sounds wrong, but I guess it's right. I gotta trust this one, um, right? You, you'd think that they, you know, but I guess it's you know it's always seen like it, at the very least on a cliff top or something, and the implication right. that they've been walking away from it for hours. Um, Certainly, not all of them have the TARDIS interior, but not seeing the police box at all, yes. uh, very rare. And it was um, the first, but not the last, to not feature a monster. I think it was probably done more successfully yes. in Listen, right? right? That would be the other one. Yeah, Listen you... would be definitely one of them. But it was, it's the very first episode not to show the monster. Any episode that has a monster mm. has at some point shown the monster, or at least part of the monster. Have there uh, been any other, or is it just Midnight and Listen? That's a good question. I'd have to think. Um, I don't think so. Someone mm. write in. Someone tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. And again, you know, a decision forced by cheapness, but forces you into an interesting place where you don't see the monster and you have to guess a lot of things about it. I kind of yeah. like that. And I think that's a really good choice. Um, particularly the reveal when a sky is turned away from them, um, mm. which is, you know, you're just wondering like what's happened to her, like what's she going to look like? And it, they, they really stretch it out and she sort of very slowly, her hands come away from her head and she starts to turn and it's, it's like, painfully long like what 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 and then she just looks up and you're you're kind of almost looking you're looking for it right like are uh, wait are those her eyes no those are her eyes you know like mm. you're like <laughs> there's no contacts there's nothing there's no scar well she's, she's certainly and it's just it's again the, the the wonderful uh acting here by leslie sharp that she just the only way you know something is different is that she's gone from lamenting her life and being the most miserable passenger on board to something almost like a smile, but it's kind of, it's malevolence. Yes. I think is the word for it that she conveys so well with just a look. Yeah. She does it incredibly well. Um, and so this is, um, such a tight little episode, uh, very simple in idea mm. that it was actually adapted into a stage play. Yes, in Australia, I believe. Um, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd love to see it. Like, I mean, that's probably over now, but I, I could see why they did it. It's definitely conducive to it. How did they do the words? Right, like the 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 sound editing was so mm. on point for this. Uh, I guess in a stage play, without the ability to rewind, you can't, and and a little more forgiveness on the part of the audience, you could mm. you could just kind of go with it. But I got to say, that must be like 
I'm sure incredibly nerve wracking to a cast that they got to not just memorize these lines, but just really be on point with the sinking with your castmates on stage. Um, that would be would, very I mean, whoever plays the Doctor and whoever plays Sky really have to rehearse the crap out of it, right? More than yeah. ever, anyone else put together. Uh, and if they do that, if you get those t- two actors to rehearse like crazy every day, which you kind of have time to do for for, for, for a play more so than a TV show, mm-hmm. right? So I could see that working and being kind of kind of chilling in a theater setting. If they have it down, so they can just say the numbers of pi, the square root of pi to each other. Uh, that would just that would send a chill through the audience. Well, you have have some license to get you know adapt things differently for the stage. Mm-hmm. So they could indeed instead do a recipe for pi. <laughs> throwing that out there. Yeah, it doesn't matter what he says. He's. I mean, it's nice that it, it adds stuff like. Uh, you're a very handsome doctor. Oh, thank you, I am. Which is a perfect thing for tenant <laughs> tenant's doctor in particular to say, because he is a little vain. Uh, it's kind of a continuing uh, thing with his doctor. Um, Indeed. So, but yeah, you're right. It could be anything as long as they get it in sync. I'm kind of thinking of like the Everly Brothers here, and uh, it's also a trick that Simon and Garfunkel copied from the Everly Brothers, which they were able to watch each other's mouths so constantly that they were perfectly in sync when they were singing so that it almost sounded like it was one voice singing mm. um but it is a thing you can do on stage if you if you're you know uh, attuned enough to another person's mouth you can mm. just get that perfectly in sync with them that it sounds harmonious someday someday mm. i'll get there chris <laughs> <laughs> someday we'll get there do you think by the way one one last word on the on the words and the use of the repeating words do you think that this episode would scare a child or might be designed to scare a child out of doing the word repeating thing uh that's a good question i don't think so <laughs> i think it would actually probably inspire them to do it because well that's the thing it's like should we recommend this as a thing to put on if your kid is doing the annoying thing of repeating everything you say if they're going through that phase should you put this on because it yeah. is a little bit chilling at the end when donna does it and the doctor's like no don't yeah just yeah don't. uh well i'll say this i w- I watched this episode as i'm doing lately with my son uh he's mm-hmm. 12 now so he's a little past, you know, repeating. And I don't think he was that freaked out by it. He's seen it before. Um, but he he liked it. Um, he liked the idea. He's obviously, as a kid, probably much more around or at least close to in terms of time, that that idea of repeating being kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. um, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I might try it with my eight year old at some point if mm. she ever sort of gets into Doctor Who unless we watch him with her. Um, she's, uh, I think she would be, I think she'd be freaked out by it. I think she probably, if she were a repeater, she'd probably take a break for a bit. But then in the same mm. vein as like, you know, the Daleks say exterminate and that's cool and fun to say. Maybe Even if it's a little scary. Yeah. 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 yeah okay kids so maybe they want to provoke a bit right they want to have an impact <laughs> on the world around them because they're just starting to figure that out and if they can mm. which is I, I think why they do this in the first place yeah. you know like when they're a lot you know really young and they think repeating and it, it gets a rise out of somebody and that's ultimately what, what they want to do they want this attention which might indicate a little bit about the maybe the alien is more of a child here yeah. i don't know but one that learns fast Maybe Indeed. so. Maybe it would inspire your child to go to the next level and try to sync up with what you're saying. Mm. Uh, so maybe it would just take that urge and point it in a more creative direction. Nice. If they did that, I would give them a raise in their allowance. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Oh my goodness! I hope they. <laughs> I hope they you hope they don't listen to this episode. They can raise this episode. <laughs> Oh, I've set myself up. Yeah, yeah. Just just cut that line out. You'll be fine. All right. Well, We're now just talking Chris, about something that never happened. What What do you think would have happened here if the evil plot had succeeded? The Doctor would have been thrown out the airlock. <laughs> this is an easy one, right? Like, easy. 
Yeah, because he, you know, he only he's only holding on by his foot, and it, it is a really chilling scene. By the way, the look on David mm. Tennant's face—he definitely sells the notion that this is some of the worst trouble the Doctor has ever been in. Yeah, he really delivers it. Um, yeah. Like he—he he really looks like he's ill in in the last few scenes where he's repeating after um, Sky mm. and the, the creature. And you know, he it's almost like he's almost like kind of having a stroke, honestly. Yeah. Like he's he's like, I I I'm alive and I I have my brain still, but I cannot communicate. I can't say anything to anybody to Which is indicate the doctor's, who I am. The doctor's worst nightmare to yeah. have his voice taken away. Um by the way, oh <laughs> can I just uh, bring up a plot hole here that I thought of towards the end of the episode? Why does he not use the psychic paper on the passengers? Oh, like he's used to give it. him some more authority. Exactly. He's used it on the driver. He's used it on the engineer. Why not use it on the passengers? Because there's he a even, whole yeah. he 10 even minute for a stretch. second flashes it to the hostess. Yeah. Uh, which might, might indicate why she isn't as gung-ho mm, to throw mm-hmm. him out. Um, yeah. Although she is still point. suspicious of him for, for buying his ticket at the last minute. That's that's the thing that, that sort of oh, dooms him in her eyes. Uh, but yeah, he could have flashed the psychic paper pe- uh, people. I guess you could just say that the doctor forgets about it. It's part of his hubris that he thinks he can always talk his way out of a situation. Mm. Um, he doesn't know he's going to get his voice taken away from him. So yeah, there you go. I've just solved my old plot hole. Yeah, um, there it is. But if the doctor <laughs> is thrown out, that's the end of the doctor, right? Because you got to figure the extonic radiation would not just exterminate him, but all of his right. other regenerations. He, he could regenerate out of that one. That's that's a dead dead for yeah. sure. So that's the that the, his time would end right there. Um, Wouldn't it be so shocking if they just sort of made this the last episode of Doctor? <laughs> 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 and then you could still have turn left. Right. Just like a perma turn left. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh wow. Yeah. And then it's kind of like you you just it's suddenly Torchwood Miracle Day forever. Yeah. Um yeah, that could happen. Wow. Wow, that's, that's a that's, that's a dark, dark twist. <laughs> but it would be kind of an appropriate way for the doctor to go if the doctor had to go. Is... Well, yeah, it's definitely the lead up to it where all mm. of his um, power, so to speak, like which is again mostly through words, mm. mostly for his himself, his cleverness that he insists he is uh, throughout this episode. I'm clever, I'm clever, I'm clever, and it's not helping you. This is the mm. one time it doesn't work, Doctor, and it's your it's finally your one bad day. And- Actually, that that would make it a really interesting stage play if you change the ending. Yeah. You could surprise people by first of all surprise people by changing the ending. People who think they know Doctor Who in the theater, like no, you don't. Actually, he gets thrown out at the end, and maybe you have some sort of scene with Donna afterwards, or uh, you you have some other way of sort of delivering the play's message of like this. Mm. This is about the Doctor's the day of the Doctor's ultimate hubris that yeah, killed wow. him. Right? Midnight, aka the end of the Doctor. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you kind of like you kind of wonder a little bit about then what what does the creature do? What happens? Mm. I guess it uh, does it go on switching around and draining people? Um, can it spread? Can it reproduce? We honestly just don't know enough about it mm. to have any idea. We it's it's hard to even speculate. Um, like uh, the a comparable story which um very different in some ways but you know the claustrophobia is very similar is the thing mm. and in the thing you you get enough to know like this thing will like to have some picture in your head of what happens should it get out of this uh, antarctic this claustrophobic environment mm-hmm. um which which is a good motivator of like stakes of establishing stakes whereas this time it's really more about the people and the doctor it's it's not really about that it's not really but um so it's less fun to even think about you know like oh what would happen if the creature got out well i guess it would just be out yep. <laughs> and doing this thing the, the again multiple again. human galaxies are terrorized by an epidemic of people repeating other people's words <laughs> <laughs> and throwing people out of airlocks but suddenly that becomes a, a thing. And if this if this did happen, and remember we, we are in the RTT season where everyone on Earth becomes the master. 
But if everyone on Earth just sort of started repeating everyone else's lines, I think you would have nuclear war within the week. (laughs) Who would be saying the lines, though? Everyone's repeating. There's no one actually saying the original line. (laughs) It'd be half to half the world. That would be like that that blood control thing they were doing. I don't know. We're getting a little little tangented uh, on the tangent here. I'm just sort of figuring, you know, the, the president as at his lectern, just repeating the reporters' questions back to them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of kind of Trumpian, like totally. To... <laughs> Where um, were you? Where were you? <laughs> why don't you say? Why don't you say, Mr. President? <laughs> Someone oh, should try man. it. Maybe, maybe get a pull bump out of it. I don't know. Who knows? People seem to like annoying now. I mean, it would go viral. <laughs> it sure would. All right. Oh, our other. I. So this is a challenge almost. I almost think it doesn't apply, but it might be a challenge for us. Um, where's Clara? Where's the Clara where's Splinter? Where's the this Clara episode? Splinter in the episode? I actually have an answer for you. You do. Okay. I think. I think this is a little bit of headcanon mm-hmm. that the Clara Splinter. Uh, handed a novel or something to the stewardess like a few days before this happened. Uh, something or made her watch a movie or something where she has in her notion, in, in her head, some of the notion of self-sacrifice, right? Mm. That it's more prominently the force. So she's more willing to take the creature out of the airlock and save the doctor. Um, that seems like to that. me the sort of, you know, we don't really know why the stewardess decided to save the doctor. Like, it's not not entirely clear, especially since she was suspicious of his ticket purchase. Um, but she does it, so that's what's left to be explained, I think, and that's where Clara. Yeah, I mean, the implication is that she has such a strong sense of duty, mm-hmm. um, but it's just there, right? There's nothing behind it of yeah. like, well, why would you feel that way? Particularly if you are sort of a, a hostess on sort mm-hmm. of a uh, touristy thing in a you know everyday uh resort facility i guess as we were just describing so that you know it's fine as written it's just like why w- why would you think that and there's there's one line from another passenger during which says exactly that like you're the you're the hostess you're supposed to protect us and she's doing it sort of more in a panic and an accusatory mm-hmm. kind of way and you kind of get the impression She's suddenly reminded in that moment, oh, yes, that is that is my duty. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I have to do. And I like that definitely... your, your theory <laughs> yeah. provides the fuel for that. Like, it's like she, yeah. she not only, like, there's something about why she joined the job that she's reminded of right before this in a very strong way. And therefore, that enables her to make that sacrifice. I like it. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Maybe, maybe Clara was, was, you know, the Clara Splinter is another hostess. Hmm. You know, on on this bus line, uh, she works on Crusader Forty Nine, and uh, <laughs> they they spend a lot of time in the break room talking about what would you do if nice. <laughs> she brings up this whole yeah. <laughs> damn burned another souffle. Hey, what what would you do if there was a monster on your <laughs> bus? <laughs> just thinking, just thinking. Yeah. About <laughs> remember it's six seconds remember that yeah. remember the airlock six seconds yeah yeah i don't know Just, why you need to know but you should know that sort of feels important yeah um all right i think i think we may have talked midnight to death uh well, it's, it's definitely past midnight um, uh, <laughs> so ah dang. Um, it is time well is it hold on did uh, did you did you like this one did you, was it a dollar oh yeah thing? it's a dollar for me i think it gradually became a dollar for me I think that initially it was kind of an overrun because I got to the end of it. And I was like, is that it? And I've kind of initially agreed with RTD's thin conceit worry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I've thought about it, especially this, this notion that it sort of gets at the doctor's hubris and his sort of yeah. belief that everyone can be his companion. And it kind of reminded me of, of Night of the Doctor, which we were just mm. talking about a few episodes back along with Day of the Doctor. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, which is maybe the only other time in the doctor's history that this happens. Although it did also happen in the God complex and actually come to think of it, the randomizer is taking us through a lot of episodes that involve companion insecurity. Mm -hmm. Right. Because God complex had that 
you know, and had the, the whole issue of Amy and Rory, you, you're not leaving, I fired you or something, you know, right. and, and that, that sort of the doctor running away from Joe and from that situation and being super jealous of losing Joe and the end of the green death. Um, this is, yeah, this definitely we're, we're seeing a theme here. Hmm. Um, so, so I like that. Uh, the more that I've thought of this was a slow burn for me because it kind of sat right. in my brain for a day. And the more I thought about it, the more a Dalek stalk sprouted out of its head. <laughs> 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 so it well, became a Dalek for me. Yeah. I'm glad to hear I, as I was thinking about it in, um, in the context of other, other episodes we've done, I, I tend to think episodes with lower stakes. Mm. I have a greater chance of, of working um like when you set yourself up for all of time and space or um the whole galaxy or the earth empire or whatever being destroyed you're kind of it's almost too abstract but i really like uh some of those work but a lot of them mm. fall short whereas things like the androids of tara for example and i would say even sure. the god complex which i found very interesting and this one where it's really the the stakes are more are certainly much more local but also have more to do with the the fundamentals of the characters we tune in to watch every week um, mm. and challenge those things. I think they're really, really, really good. Um, so this one, you know, it, it definitely, uh, I liked it the first time I liked it this time. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked researching it, thinking about it more this time, particularly yeah. like, Oh, that was well, not just, that was a scare. And that was interesting. Just as you said, getting at the doctor, and his who he is and how he tends to get through episodes and completely flipping that around. I really a very compelling idea. Definitely, definitely, uh, a, a, and perhaps a buried gem sitting so next, uh, no, so near to turn left as it does. Um, buried gem sliding down the hillside <laughs> of the waterfall. I see what you did there. <laughs> I set that one up for you, Bing. Damn. Uh, but cool. speaking of speaking of challenging. Uh, do mm -hmm. we, before we activate the randomizer, do we want to issue the randomizer with a challenge? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> and I'm going to say it. Give it, it. give it to me, guy. I want an ironic twist. <laughs> I want something like, oh, last week was Christmas. Well, here's your Christmas episode. Hold it open. <laughs> yeah. How do you like gonna... that? Or wait a minute. It's Christmas in July or I don't know, something <laughs> like that. I'm going to issue it the challenge of give me give us another RTD episode. Oh. I feel like we need something to compare this against. And nice. there's so much RTD in in who history that we haven't gone to yet. That works. So, I like yeah. it. I feel Once I'm feeling good about my chances. Me too. Once again, <laughs> everyone, this is the randomizer we're talking about. In case you're uh, new to pull to open, this is the thing we. Turn to to tell us where we're going in the yes. whole Doctor Who mythos. Um, and something very special and new about the randomizer this week. For, we had a we have our codex, mm -hmm. uh, which is the the list of complete Doctor Who stories that we that we want to watch as discrete stories, slightly different from the official list. It's in the show and notes. All in the show <laughs> notes. You can check it out Should yourself. Be. But until this week, it had the number two hundred ninety seven as the latest number that we could go to. And it is oh. now 298 because Flux is over. Boom. Flux is in the books. Wow. Flux, Flux is, is officially a story. A, yep. It's officially did, did you, here. I, I got to ask you, Pete, did you catch up? Did you watch it? I'm, I'm only, no. <laughs> <laughs> if we roll 298 on our 298 sided die here, I will be watching it for the first time. Um, Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen the first two episodes, so I've seen the Sontaran episode, and I'll certainly save my thoughts for when, when we talk about it. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm only a third of the way into Flux, uh, watching it for the first time. You, you've just given me my idea of the most awesome Christmas present ever. Is it 298-sided die? <laughs> I think that uh, the 3D printer might, <laughs> might explode when you put in that many sides. We should figure out how large that would be. It had to be room-sized, basically. How would that look any different from a ball? <laughs> <laughs> the advantage is it, it would have to be so large that we could print the episode name on, <laughs> on, right. each, on each side. 
Uh, just rolling it would take months. Yes. <laughs> like, when's it going to stop rolling? I don't know. To throw it down a crystal waterfall. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's the only way you can roll it. We do not use 298-sided die. Uh, no. What do we use, Chris? We use random.org because computers are terrible at doing random numbers. They basically use an algorithm to guess at a random number. But random.org uses true randomness. Uh, by listening to atmospheric noise, uh, so uh, which is so doctorish that we had to mm. we had to use it for our randomizer adventure. It's true so as it gets. I have entered the number one as its minimum and two hundred ninety eight as its maximum in random.org for the first time. Standing, I have unlocked the codex. It is now ready, ready for input. We need like yeah. Android noises in the background as this happens. Some kind of whirring and clicking. And <laughs> oh man, clanking. That's a feature. I, actually, upgrade. you know what I was thinking the other week? We should like just put the 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 TARDIS wheezing noise in the background as we do <laughs> as we count down <laughs> to the random dot org. Care to order any other sound effects? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's my impression of All a TARDIS right. with, with the handbrake on. Let's do this uh, thing. All right, ready? Countdown. Okay. Yep. In five, four, three, two, and now. Geronimo! 93. 93, we're early. We're early. Sounds we are familiar. at the image of Fendal. Ooh. Very nice. That is a complete black box to me. I That's Baker? Uh, yeah, it's Tom Baker. This actually yeah. follows the Invisible Enemy. It, it's right after it, so Ooh. we did Invisible Enemy uh, quite some time ago. That was like one of the uh, one of our first episodes. That was that was our last actually not random episode. I believe. Right, that was before, before we, we installed the randomizer into the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's taken us back. It's taken us home. Yeah, uh, in an ironic twist. Totally. <laughs> so I guess yeah, it listened to you. It delivered. <laughs> yeah, Image of Fendal. I remember this one being super creepy. Um, so it's in the mood as, for creepy. Yeah, that's that. The, the creepy continues, um, and not as much gross creepy as we had with the Green Death. So yeah, that's right. Great. I like it, and it's <laughs> it's listened to our complaints about the God Complex, which was that it was not creepy enough. True, and it's taking us further ever into the center of Gothic horror. Totally. Tom Baker, always a treat. This is a good time for Baker and a mm -hmm. good time to listen to Pull to Open. Um, so thank you all for doing that. Uh, in case you weren't sure, we are a podcast. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the program, please do. It only takes a second to hit that button. It also only takes a second to leave us a review or a rating. You can give us whatever kind of review you would like. Uh, we really like those five-star reviews, and they really do help us with our placement on services like Apple. So uh, we really would love it if you could leave us a review. Um, but whatever you're listening on, Spotify, Google, uh, Breaker, uh, uh, Stitcher, whatever you're listening, uh, if your service is uh, able to take your review, please leave one. We'd really, really appreciate it. And we'll uh, read your review out on the air at some point. Mm. Um, please follow us on social media. We are always, always on TikTok. We're all over TikTok. We're on top of TikTok. Like weird creatures in a diamond planet are on innocent, hapless passengers that want to turn <laughs> on each other. We, we're on TikTok like David Tennant on Leslie Sharp. Dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> we are in sync with TikTok. Absolutely. Uh, we're at Pull to Open on TikTok, and we're also on Twitter and Instagram, putting stuff on those channels uh, as often as we can, and that's at Pull to Open 63. We will see you here next time for Image of Fendal, and have a happy new year. Oh, and we God. will see you here next time for Image of Fendal, and have a happy new year. <laughs> All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.